one day she'll come back to me. Whoa, what? I recognise that familiar catchphrase. Why, it's Podquisition special guest this week, Elon Musk. Hello, Elon Musk. Ooh. How are you? Uh, uh, sorry, you'll have to forgive me. He's a little bit shy. Go on. No, go on. You can... no, go on. Into the microphone. Uh, hello, everyone. I am Elon Musk. I am 23 years old. I am a businessman and an um, entrepreneur. And I am very pleased to be here on uh, Podquisition. Hello. Hello. Uh, you've been uh, busy recently, huh? Oh, yeah. I'm a very busy boy. I have done many things in my life because, as well as a businessman and entrepreneur, I am also an inventor. I have invented the following things. That's a good bit. That's a good Yeah. Bit. I like that. Yeah. That's good. yeah. Right? Quality. Uh, Quality gag. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it, it takes, it really does take a fucking genius to purchase basically just a brand for infinite money and then throw away the only thing of value from what you bought. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that uh, is, that, that sure is a big brain move. It's like just, when just I buy a big... mint in box Boglins and just tear them out the box because I want to play with them. Yeah, it's, it's almost as much as a big brain move as... Not getting planning permission to put a big strobing flashing light facing people's apartments, and then reportedly maybe some people had some seizures, and then it has to get taken down. Yeah, a bit. Big brain, big brain moves. Big brain people. Big massive honking brains. Just so fucking done with them. Like yeah. I, I yeah. was just saying this the other day on the stream. Like I honestly don't care anymore anything about him. The takeover of Twitter thing is incredibly disruptive to my life personally and the lives of oh. many of us. Uh, oh, 100%. That, you know, there are a ton of people who have built their entire existence on the basis of being able to promote their work on Twitter. And it is uh, going to be a nightmare for all of them. And maybe, maybe Elon's done us a favor because that was a bad idea to begin with, and we all probably need to find a better way to do shit. But now that he's done that, I have no need for him anymore. I am done. I am just so fucking sick of hearing about this sad, divorced loser who is so in need of attention all the time. Not divorced! I'm a husband-in-waiting! <laughs> Oh. No, no, he is divorced. He's so divorced that he's made his entire identity the fact he's got an ex. No, that was actually uh... very clever because I think everyone should live the Elon Musk experience, which is why I made it an ex, so that everyone who opens their computer can be terrified that they've left a porn tab open in front of their wife. Ex-wife! <laughs> wife! <sighs> Bye, Elon! Bye. Welcome to Fogg's... Welcome to Fuck With Asian. Welcome. We talk, we talk about video games Indeed. and stuff sometimes. Uh, there's one last thing quickly um, oh, yeah, that I would yeah. like to just do. Um, I'm just, it, no one else has to observe it. I'm just going to offer a moment of silence um, for the Jim Sterling subreddit. <coughs> uh, carry on, please. 
So yeah, who's who's been playing video games this week? Um, I haven't really. Uh, oh. I mean, I, I I did play some more Pikmin Four, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit. But I mean, I've I've been playing more Pikmin Four. Um, how how far in are you? Out of curiosity. Um, I did the version of Pikmin One that's in Pikmin Four. Yeah, I yeah. Did I I didn't I didn't finish the Ochi uh stuff yeah so his so compared to where i was last week i was coming up towards like the first ending of that game mm-hmm. which is which was the that that was the length of a pikmin game it wasn't like i yeah. felt shortchanged getting to no. that point yeah it was like tw- you know 25 ish hours maybe you know being like yeah that's a pikmin game and there sure is more pikmin game in that pikmin game yeah um because there's just a Pikmin 1 in Pikmin 4, and that's fun. Mm-hmm. That That's neat. Uh, then there's, do you want hard, do you want little hardcore mode puzzle challenge room? We got that over there. Do you want some more game in Pikmin 4? Because we're not done with Pikmin 4 yet. We know we told you we were done with Pikmin 4, but there's more Pikmin 4. Um, I am still trying to platinum every uh, Dandori challenge in that game. And I, I'm, I'm getting there, but they are some impressively like tightly paced puzzle challenges. Mm-hmm. If you want to go for those platinums, you have to have a really good route planned and execute on it basically flawlessly. And even then, it's going to be tight. And I appreciate that that challenge. It, it feels, it's given me a lot of. Like good top end stuff to be to be you know eking a bit more out of the game on for a game that already had more than I expected in it. It's good. Um, I thought that the Olimar challenge, which is the your Olimar's exploration, I think is what they call it. Yeah, uh, I really liked that. Uh, that it was limited to just fifteen days, and yes, it was satisfying to play, and it sort of. It's not that different, ultimately, from Pikmin 4, because you still get a dog. You still get most of the new mechanics yeah. stuff. Uh, the way it introduces it is is interesting, based on sort of experience level, in a sense. Yes. Uh, unlocking the abilities as they go along, but you still get almost everything uh, yeah. that you got access to in the main game. And I like that. And I like that it's a more focused experience, because it's like 15 days, and you know exactly how many things you've got to find. You've got 30 things to find, 15 days, average of two a day. If you can keep ahead of that pace or find extra stuff that will help you get ahead of that pace, that's great. I didn't need the full 15 days. No. But I... It it was enough of a thing where it's like, I have plenty of time to spare, but it's constantly in the back of my mind that I need to keep moving. And I, I liked that pacing. Yeah, it's plenty of time to accomplish the goal. You don't even have to be that efficient. I think I had, like, four or... Yeah, I think I had four days left by the time I finished. Yeah, I um, think I had around five days left. I probably wasn't that far off, but it's uh, it's it's enough of a thing in the back of your head to, to keep you moving, mm-hmm. and I, I think that works. Yeah, look, there, there are things about this Pikmin that, you know, I... I, I I don't think it's perfect by any means. I think that it um, it's very wordy to get started. Like, your first hour and a half is a lot of dialogue boxes before you can actually really play it. Yeah. But, like, once it gets going, I had a great time with it. I find it hard to complain about 
you know, the changes haven't stopped me having a great time. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I think most of the changes are, are for the better. You know, I yeah. I like Ochi. I like uh, the Ice Pikmin a lot. Like it, it's those changes by necessity brought on other changes that I'm not crazy about, but in the exchange, I think it works out for the best. So yeah, yeah. Uh, also good news for, like, this Pikmin having done better than expected. Um, we don't know, like, global sales figures for it, but in Japan, uh, it has, uh, opening week sales figures that are higher than the first three Pikmin games combined. Well, that's not nothing. Yeah, yeah, first, first Pikmin was about 100,000 units in Japan, 160,000 for Pikmin 2, 90,000 for Pikmin 3, that, that comes to about 350,000. Uh, about 400,000 for Pikmin 4 alone in its first week in Japan. Imagine having a game that only sold 100,000 copies in one of the largest countries for the product. And it still got a sequel. Yeah. It would never yeah. happen today. Yeah. The the biggest first week sales for a Pikmin in Japan ever was 160,000. And we got a fourth one. That is fucking amazing. And I'm glad that it's finally picking up. This has done, like, triple the first week sales of that. I'm glad that they kept making more of them. Who, Whoever at Nintendo, that this is your, your, your passion project, I'm glad that Nintendo keeps letting you make your weird little thing. Yeah. Make us more chippy robo. Well, if that's... sales aren't that important, yeah. make us more chippy robo. Let's see if we can, we can do the same thing with chippy robo. That'd be good. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Steph? What you been playing this week? Well, well, I well. played a certain brawler, a certain mm. beat 'em up that I've got some opinions on, and I think some yeah. people have been expecting me after recent events to talk about this brawler, Zeno Clash. Mm. I don't know if you've played it, <laughs> but. Oh, that's right. There is another game we have to talk about. This yeah. Uh, but no, no, no. I have played Zeno Clash. I will get to the other one. Oh, I haven't played this. I I didn't expect it to be spelled Z-E-N-O. I assumed this was like X-E-N-O, like in the Zeno. No, no. Zeno no. Clash. No, yeah, no. This is definitely a different thing. It I see. takes place in a place called Zenozoic. Um, a place... It, it it sure does, looking at these screenshots. Yeah, a place of pure anarchy, where um, there are no laws, and no one can read or write or build anything. They just punch each other all day. That's all they do. Um, it's, mm. it's a weird game. came out in, like, 2009, and immediately had my attention, um, because of the character designs, which you look up any given screenshot of... Xeno Clash, and it really is like just like a particularly unhinged Jim Henson film, like Labyrinth or, or, or um, Dark Crystal or something. It's a first person brawler, and the first one very awkward in places, control wise, because um, it was that period. Like, even nowadays, developers. There are some really good ones, but some developers still really struggle with, like, first-person melee combat. And this mm. one was particularly clunky and janky about it. Um, but a very interesting game. Um, 
you play as a, a someone called Gat, who left a big family of uh, very sort of visually diverse characters, all brothers and sisters, after killing their father, mother, who is their father and their mother, and talks like that. And you're being pursued by all of your siblings for that murder, and. You end up in the forest, surrounded by the Corvid, who get used to be part of. And the Corvid are people who just decided reality didn't apply to them. So they just get to be insane. That's their whole thing. Is, is that an option that I have? Apparently. Can I, just, can I just decide that I don't want a reality anymore? Oh, yeah. Um, there's a trailer on YouTube called The Corvid of the Free that is the thing that really made me pay attention to this game back in the day. Um, well worth looking up. It's the, the main character is voiced by the guy that did Adam Jensen from the uh, the last two Deus Ex games. Uh, as as he just explains who the Corwid are, um, people who aren't slaves to reality, so they can be insane. And each one gets this sort of um, it's almost like an extreme extrapolation of OCD. Like they all get a thing that they're obsessed with. Like a uh, oximeter is this guy who walks in a straight line. That's what he does. And the protagonist, as he is explaining these characters to another character who doesn't understand what they are, he's so, like, wonderfully matter-of-fact about it. Like, he's like, here's this one character. He eats people. Why does he do that? <laughs> Why not? Um, Oxamina, he walks in a straight line. That's just what he had to do. Um, you're, you're really selling me on this being a lifestyle I could see myself living. Oh, I get I'm all to about opt out of reality. Yeah, I get to opt out of reality. I just pick one character trait, and that's all I do. And no one expects anything more from me. Yeah, um, Oxamet is a great one—the one who has to walk in a straight line. Um, there's one part of the game where you're in a big fight in the forest, and he's just there. He's just walking through the fight non-hostile, just in a big straight line. And later on in the game, you see him up against a tree, dead in the desert, where he, he just hit a tree and didn't move because he could only walk in a straight line because that's what his thing was. That's what he did. Um, my best... the the My favourite one of the Corvid is Helim, who had a compulsion to be invisible... So plucked out the eyes of anything that could look at him, which is just <laughs> fucking genius, just brilliant. Uh, it, it it reminds me of uh, a Reddit story someone did once of uh, want, wanting to play like a big strong orc, but wanting them to be stealthy. And they didn't put their stats into stealth in D anD D. They put them into intimidation and were just like, "I'm going to angrily shout <laughs> at you until you until you deny that you've seen me." Brilliant, <laughs> right? Um... <laughs> It's it's very clunky. Um, I would recommend like looking up like a long play or something of it, which for the final 15 minutes of the game I did because I got too fucking annoyed with it. Because it, it runs on Steam Deck, but it's even clunkier because it's not officially supported. Um, so it's a bit awkward. Um, but yeah, like the character designs, one of the notable things about it was that there's no repeated character models. You fight each opponent multiple times throughout the game. But every single character model in that game, except for these like generic shadowy enemies that are in one small section, every character model is unique. And everyone is just fucking bizarre. Um, 
I'm glad I played through it again. I became kind of obsessed with Xeno Clash lately. Had a real desire to play through it. To play the first and carry on playing the second, which I thought I'd never played the second. But according to Steam, I had I had a bit. Um, so I played that as well. Mainline Xeno Clash 2, which is sort of a, a, lot, of a, a lot bigger game um, with uh, a little more freedom of exploration and, and some very moderate RPG elements and stuff. Um, plays a lot better. I don't think it was as liked uh, by a lot of people as the first one, but I think as a game it's better. But the real surprise for me was a new Xenoclash game came out this year, and I somehow didn't know, despite being fascinated by that series, because if there's one word you can use for it, it's fascinating. Um... Yeah, it's just called Clash, which might be why I never, I hadn't heard of it. It's called Clash, Artifacts of Chaos. Like, one of the most generic names you could come up with. Um, quite different. Uh, visually, it's sort of um, very bright and vibrant and cartoony, uh, with a lot of kind of pencil-drawn lines over all of the character models and, and environments. It looks fucking gorgeous. It looks beautiful. Um, seeing it in motion with just the the range of and contrast of vivid colours they use. One of the prettiest looking games I've ever seen. Uh, the writing and voice acting took a dramatic step up. Um, the bad voice acting was sort of part of Xenoclash's charm. But they've actually got legit fucking good, good acting in this. Um, so I don't think it's taken anything away by being better like some games have done. Um... It's third-person combat this time, for the most part. Uh, you can build up a meter that will put you into first-person, and if you land enough hits without getting um, hit yourself, you'll do a finisher, which is neat, and it's a nice little nod to Xenoclash. Um, but it's it's really good. Like, I like the Xenoclash games as experiences more than I do as games, because they're hard to recommend. As, as a game but this third one this clash it plays it's still got some jank to it there's still some awkwardness but the combat's pretty good um the character designs again still great visually brilliant the um rpg elements this time are a lot more expanded and are a lot nicer with a lot of different um you can unlock different fighting stances and special attacks to have a, a kind of a unique fighting style um, they have this interesting thing called the one rule, uh, the one law, which is if you fight intelligent enemies that aren't just monsters, you can choose to challenge them to the ritual, which is a dice game. And if you win the dice, it's just rolling dice. And then you've got these little modifiers to change the values of your, your, your dice and their dice. And if you win that, you can select one of your artifacts to add a rule to the fight that's about to happen. Um, such mm. as the opponent has, the loser has to drink poison. And so their health <laughs> will slowly drain or the winner gets a free hit before the fight starts uh, or summons. Uh, or you can um, have an artifact that's a pact and one that's a summon. So if you win a fight with a pact, you can bind a character that you just fought to it and then summon them if you win a ritual in another fight to fight alongside oh. you. So, yeah, really cool. Um, I, so I love the idea 
I find the dice sort of thing a bit frustrating. Some of them seem like deliberately loaded against you. Um, but there's some fun stuff. Um, and I'm just, I'm blown away by some of the, the, the music, especially fucking gorgeous soundtrack. Um, and it's just a really charming little story about this, this hermit who finds this little boy who's just called the boy. And he's like nothing but this little cute mass of black feathers with big eyes. Um, and he chooses to look after him and then sort of escort him safely because these mercenaries want him for, for like this sort of magic he does. And what I like about it is it's not that I was expecting the typical sort of gruff loner hermit begrudges and resents this kid that's tagging along. But even though he is sort of gruff and, and doesn't, he's not particularly, um, he's not unkind to the boy, but he's not, patronize like he's not going to dress anything up for him but there's a moment where he's taking him to this city to um find him somewhere like just to give him to someone else because he doesn't think he can stay with him and this woman who runs this city gemini like just gives the hit the faintest hint that she's going to treat him badly and straight away she does like mm, no i'm not going to I'm not going to give him to you. Um, and then that's sort of the impetus for the story. And I just, he was just so matter of fact of like, no, this is shady. I'm not going to do it. And doesn't resent the, like, it's not like this kind of story that you see. Um, it's got a very generic setup, but they don't do it the stereotypical way, which I like. It's also got one of the best lines. I heard it today while playing one of the best lines I've heard in a game. There are recurring enemies who are part of a theatre troupe. And they're all, like, hammy actors. They all wear, like, almost jestery bandit cowl things. And one of them in the middle of a fight yelled, I'm going to put your head through the fourth wall. And that is one of the best lines I've ever heard in a game. Not only for the fact that it's clear Xenozoic understands Stanislavski and theatrical tropes, but it's just a fucking good line. Um, yeah. So yeah, even though I find the Xenoclash games hard to recommend, this one, Clash Artifacts of Chaos, I would find easy, I'll say that, I'll find it easier to recommend. I think it's really good, and I've gotten really hooked on it, and something tells me by the end of it, I'm going to have felt like I played something quite special. But we'll see. But yeah, I, I have a lot of good things to say about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you have you have sold me on trying a weird sounding curiosity that I had not previously known existed. Mm -hmm. Me, uh, I played a thing this week. Yeah, that I want to talk about, but I don't want to talk about it in too many specifics because it's not a particularly long thing. But okay. it's the thing that I think is really worth checking out. Um, That's how I've sold that... certain parts of my anatomy to people. <laughs> Uh, there's a game that came out this week, uh, I think it came out, like, literally the day before we record this, uh, called Venba. Have either of you seen this? Uh, sort of, uh, 2D animated art style game about cooking. I saw you streaming it last night. I, uh, didn't check a lot of it out, but it looks interesting. I won't say too much. This game is, like, somewhere between an hour and a half and two hours long, maybe two and a half if you take your time with it. Um, which... I really appreciate a good, concise, you know, experience that you can do in one sitting, and this is one that I think justifies being as short as it is. It is, uh, on the surface, it is a, a narrative-heavy, 
game about cooking and food and following recipes that is a puzzle game. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about how this wraps into the narrative in a minute, but on paper, the gameplay you're doing is you have a recipe book that is a little incomplete, it's a little worse for wear, there are some gaps and some bits that are a bit damaged, and you are trying to complete recipes to make meals, sort of working out what's missing in the gaps. Um, it is it is a light puzzle that is not trying to prevent you from progressing through the game, it's not there to be a roadblock, it is there because the experimentation and sort of playing around trying to work out how you make these dishes is sort of a narrative theme. Um, you are playing through the game as this woman called Vember. Uh, she and her husband moved from India to Canada in the late 80s. There is some implication that they sort of felt the need that they had to get away from India, and they're debating whether or not to move home to India because like Canada has not been great to them as, as a pair of immigrants in the late 80s, and then they find out they're going to have a kid, and they decide to stay in Canada to raise their kid there, going, I, you know, I reckon that they're going to have a better quality of life, mm -hmm. but it becomes this story about trying to keep cultural practices alive when you are very separated from where you grew up. It is a story of food as a way of exploring heritage, and relationships between people, and it makes really good use of cooking as a mechanic to sort of explore the experimentation that comes when you are trying to keep alive traditions that you don't have someone around to directly check things with. It is a really beautiful game, I don't want to get too much into where it goes from there, but the things I will say are that I got really emotional a few times playing it, and the best compliment I can give this game is that the moments that emotionally hit me weren't big, dramatic, we're trying to make you have an emotional reaction here moments. It was really, really subtle little details, things that the game just wasn't trying to draw my attention to, that you'd notice one little thing and suddenly get hit. And I think that is a real, really impressive thing to do with storytelling, to make subtle details that the, the game isn't drawing your attention to hit as hard as some narratives try and make their big dramatic moments. The soundtrack is absolutely fantastic. There is one aspect of the game that's maybe not going to be to everyone's tastes. I think it is a good choice, but I know when I was streaming it last night, um, some people didn't gel with it. And that is, this game does feature some pretty steep time jumps in places, where you will jump forward many years in, in a story without any explanation of what went on in the years between. I think that this game does a really good job of using little bits of environmental storytelling and those jumps forward in time to tell things without having to say them explicitly, and I think that those are some of the game's most interesting moments. I also think that by having big time jumps, it allows you to have expectations about what might or might not have changed, that the game can then play around with those expectations, and I think that is again one of the things that this game does really well. It is a beautiful story, it's maybe a couple of hours long, I think it's really worth playing, 
don't go in expecting it to be constantly gameplay. The gameplay is there when there is a narrative moment that it is being used to help sell. A lot of it is a story is happening. And I think it is absolutely one of my favourite things I've played this year. I think it is it is a wonderful piece of storytelling that uses interactivity exactly as much as it needs to to tell its story and no more. And I am incredibly glad I played it. I think it is a wonderful thing. I stopped multiple times to just sit and talk and take in what had happened through that story. It it, it was very well done. Uh, I don't want to say anything more about it, but Vembra is fantastic. Go check it out. Excellent. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of, tonally? Mm. It reminds me of when I played through Florence. A mobile game that's maybe 45 minutes long that is similarly... Here is just 45 minutes of we're using gameplay to reinforce telling a story. Yeah. it's That is still one of my favourite mobile games ever made, and this reminds me a lot of it in a lot of ways. But yeah, anyone else played anything else this week? Uh, yeah, I guess we did. <laughs> we both played a game, Conrad. We did. We both, we both played, played a game. game. Now, you didn't fucking hate it like I did. Like, I watched you stream it on... uh, I don't know that it's possible to fucking hate it like (laughs) you did. Oh, I'm sure if I tried, I could hate it more. Yeah. Uh, So, Double Dragon, Gaiden, Rise of the Dragons. Uh, Ah, this. I fucking despise it. Like, I've I've laboriously gone over why in, in my review. I think it's ugly as hell. It's clunky to play. Like, it makes my skin curl just like moving the characters around and everything they're just after playing fucking shredder's revenge and streets of rage 4 to go back to something this regressive with some of the least rewarding rewards and unlocks i've ever seen in my fucking (laughs) life like you have to work fucking hard to get enough tokens by the end of it like, it really tries to make you choose between, like, ending a run or reviving characters or spending money on uh, power-ups for a, a run. I'll use the word run in fucking quotes, right? It really makes you sort of hem and haw on, oh, is it worth it? Or at least that's what it wants to do until you remember that the unlocks are so bad. Because, yeah, there are some unlockable characters, but, like, the other stuff is art, music, and hints. <laughs> Hints. Yeah, that was not a... even good ones. Like they're not even like well no. explained and shit. Like bad gameplay tips because they apparently ran out of ideas for a game that is listed on the store as having endless, endless gameplay possibilities in this roguelite to beat 'em up. My fucking god. Yeah, I I don't like it. I think the cheapness of it, which I've even seen people who really like it have said, I ain't fucking wrong. The amount of stun locking and enemy juggling, and it does the thing that I find, it's one of the most aggravating things a game can do with its enemies um, in, in, in this sort of thing, is when I take damage and get knocked over, and as I'm getting up, I get hit again before I can even, like, have any control. Yeah, a lack of iframes to... Yeah. Oh, God. There are, there's a couple of characters get iframes with a really awkward dodge that you do from running. Mm-hmm. The enemies 
The basic enemies have a dodge that they can just do. They're better yep. at the game than Jimmy and Bimmy. They're better at the game. The fact that there are no iframes when you respawn from dying is so ass backwards. I mean, even the original Double Dragon had that. Yeah, all games have that. Normal games, sensible games, proper beat-em-ups have that. I was on the last boss... And that guy can do pretty much one-hit KOs. Just about, pretty yeah. Much. I got killed, both the characters, uh, got knocked out. I spent money, spent the, the hard-earned uh, coins to respawn. I respawned into a boss's attack, and he took 90% of my health before I could yep. even have any control over the character. And that's it's why... It's despicable. That's why you choose your number two, the one you don't want to... You, you're not going to be dependent on. That's the one you bring in when you're coming back. So in the event you take yeah. that hit... It has to be that, that way, because tagging... You'd think tagging would be tactical. Would be like, I can use this to get out of trouble. No, you just take someone in to join you in on being in trouble <laughs> well uh, now that's not there you is get out of grabs well and there's an upgrade that you can get uh through the course of play one of the purchasable upgrades um that will knock down all opponents on a on a tag in that shouldn't be an upgrade uh that's yeah um it shouldn't be i do not feel as strongly about uh this as you do Part of that is uh, the developer, Secret Base. This is sort of what they do. Um, if you've played Streets of Red or Devil's Dare. Uh, oh, this I'm, is the Streets of Red I'm people. in Streets of Red. Yep, so am I. I, I like Streets of Red. Mm -hmm. I fucking hate this. And that, But that is where, you know, the crowd control mechanic you know, came over from... I like um, the crowd control mechanic. I think that's very good, and I like how it's implemented in here, um, actually. It, there is a little bit of chaos to it sometimes, in that, like, you may be setting up a crowd control and you don't get it, and that is frustrating, but there will also be times where you will have two people that you knocked down, and you're all, fuck, I didn't get my crowd control, and then someone else dies from environmental damage. And and you get it. So I, I like how all of that sort because of Because the enemies flows. will throw dynamite and then walk on top of they and stand on top of the dynamite they just threw. Yes, they will. Um, <laughs> Fucking game. Yeah. I, I, it is a game that has its problems for sure. But, you know, when the... I, I, it is regressive. And that is kind of expected from me where this developer is concerned um so i accounting for that i do think that there is a, a patience threshold you have to have with it um uh, i think it demands i'll just say this in just just as a quick response to that shitting your pants on purpose would annoy me a lot more than doing it by accident mm. too human is exactly the game silicon knights wanted to make yeah. No, yeah. I and that's and that's look, that's fine. I I what I'm saying is the game doesn't have to to be for us, right? And I I I do like older 
like that sort of frustrating uh beat 'em up game of yore and this is that i play streets of rage like like the originals on the regular like i i get it right but like you said like even the original double dragon the original did like more than this there does. there are some things that that yeah that it absolutely did better yeah there's almost no excuse for no iframes coming into um they're coming out of death. That I mean, I, I can't even begin. That is just such a colossal fuck up. But a lot of the other things, like you know, the stun locks, the juggling, most of that I would have expected from an old game like this, and would blame myself. It's my fault. I put myself in that position to have that happen because I know the game is capable of it. It's not necessarily going to be fun for a lot of people. And that's that's sort of the bit. I don't think it is an abysmal failure of a game. I think it has some deep flaws. The the unlocks are it, it, that is it's what's the point? You know. Well, the point was to be able, I guess, to say it was a roguelite game because it doesn't have really any other roguelite elements. No, it it is dancing the thin thin line between stretching the truth and false advertising it is dancing on that line yeah and i think you know because now the the way the levels are structured you you know pick a uh an area to fight in and you defeat the boss of that area and then subsequent areas are extended by another set of screens and so there is variance in how those are approached but everything else is is built to be the same every time you pass through they're all linear paths yeah and you can lego them in a few configurations yeah well but they well they're not even they're not even legoed like it's consistently the same they should be oh i mean like overall you can lego your progress like i can do this uh, level first and have less of it and then this level next and have more of it no you're right lego implies a level of spontaneity that this game doesn't have yeah i think if it were a little more lego like i think if there had been um some variety and randomization even within the context of those areas right because there's nothing that says you can't have a beat-em-up that uses procedural generation to pick its screens for the run i love that i right they said beat-em-up roguelite i was pretty excited about that like because i can see that being really really fucking good i'm Mm -hmm. sure that in you know somewhere in the indie space there's like all sorts of examples oh no doubt Um, but i haven't i haven't really seen them and it's you know yeah and uh, yeah, it's, I think that there's a lot of, of opportunity there to do interesting stuff. And when I was first going through the junkyard area and going into the temple and th- there are the rooms with the traps, you know, that it, the, like the first time you encounter spikes in a room, it's just an empty room with spikes you have to walk through. There's no enemies in it. And why not more of that? You know, sprinkle in a few more of those sorts of things and, you know, have a few varieties of it and you can then maybe implement a system that feels still like it's fresh and you don't know what's around the corner, even though you have played the level multiple times. Um, yeah. You know, it, 
it, then then I'd be like, yeah, you made a roguelite. Mm-hmm. Here... Like, I really like the Streets of Red um, progress structure. Mm-hmm. It ain't roguelite. Like, no. I would never call it that, but I do like it. And if that's what they said it was, I wouldn't have felt like they were, like, really fucking taking the piss with mm-hmm. how they were marketing this. Yeah, the um, the persistent currency thing is fine, but it's not necessary because the only thing that's worth unlocking really are the characters. And even half of those are shit. And, and yeah, I've only... I actually... I don't even know that I've unlocked anybody because I was saving up for the top one and going to work my way back. Mm. Um, I got a couple and none of them were as, as good as, as um, I keep wanting to call her Marion. No, no, that is, that is Marion. Marion yeah. I always get caught between Marion and Marissa. Um, Marion, uh, because her gun is as cheap as anything the enemies have. Like, I struggle with her. Oh, she's so fucking cheap. You just stand at one side, plinky plonky, and then throw a missile and yeah. and watch the crowd control bonuses like rake in. You have to turn the game into a terrible, terrible shoot 'em up in order for me to enjoy it. But like... I haven't gotten the timing on the uh, bazooka ah. right because it, it it's a long animation for that one. Uh, in the context yeah. of a fighting game or a sure. brawl. Once you get it, though, like she's she's borderline broken. Mm-hmm. She's no cheaper than any of the enemies, but that's what makes her fucking broken. Yeah, I've had a lot of success with. I think Jimmy's the one in blue. Is that right? Oh, I can't remember. The, the one uh, in blue. The one in blue. Um, he's all kick based, which is great for me. Uh, I, I I like me a good kick. He has a simple combo. But his uh, specials are all airborne kicks of some fashion, and they can be comboed up. Your standard attack is his is the spinning kick that will you know grab in enemies, the whirlwind thing. Yeah. But a directional is like a, a knee strike, which can also be done in air for a different you know forward launch pose, and then um, the down. There's a. a an in-air down strike that's also extremely useful and passes through multiple enemies. And you can chain them. So you can go from the knee strike to the down strike or the knee strike to the whirlwind kick. Using those, I find it very, very easy to get the crowd control bonus and and keep myself going. So I've I've cleared it a couple of times with, uh, well, like th- I think it's three times now with, with whoever the blue guy is. And I kind of like the flow of that. You get the upgrades in between stages. And I think those can have really significant effect. It's not like a game where, you know, you're picking your arcana and you're going down this long, you know, specialization path. But getting the right buffs to to the attacks that you leverage the most effectively... You know, or having to make that choice between having other benefits to special power generation or getting that extra health, which can, you know, mitigate the 90% damage of the the last boss of the game. Those choices can be meaningful in terms of how well you perform later. I don't see any 
benefit to quitting the game before you finish it. Maybe that's just me playing on infinite continues. <laughs> well, that'll be it. Like, yeah, it was useful to me when I was just trying to like get some more characters. Yeah, as I like, just grab some money. Don't waste it on upgrading any of the characters during this campaign. Don't waste it on revives. Uh, get in, have a bad time, cash out. Like it's fine for that if you're specifically going for something. Right. Um, rather than waste your whole time doing the whole campaign and get so invested that when you get a game over, it's starting to like entice you to spend thousands and thousands on revives. That's about it. There is a benefit, but you've got to sort of care about the characters or really, really want to get those hot, hot gameplay tips. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I Tips! <laughs> the game is deeply flawed uh in a lot of ways and archaic and that can be interesting but can also be very not fun like i think if this had come out in when streets of rage came out we'd be like oh my god this is really good but we're not living in that world anymore and while it may not be fair to compare it to things that it's not trying to be the world has moved on i think that's it it's like yeah, there is that argument that it's not trying to be that. The argument I would have is, yeah, well, it fucking should have. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's where it comes down to. It's like, no, they don't have to, to make a game that's modernised and uh, has some quality of life and isn't frustrating and annoying um, and cheap. That is well within their rights. It's like what I said about Death Stranding. You know what? Good for you. You made the game that you want to make mm -hmm. and... I hate playing. Thumbs up. Yeah. Like that's basically my my thought on it is no, they they didn't have to and they didn't uh have to to make a game uh that I think's good. And they sure as shit did not do that. Yep. Yep. So anyway, I I don't hate it. Um and I will probably pop it in and play some more. I think you're playing it on the Switch also was a negative because on PC that like the the load is not an issue. I should hope not. I should hope not. But it's the kind of game I would play on the Switch, right? Um, yeah. It's it's exactly the kind of game I like playing on Switch. But the yeah. fact that there is a long loading screen for the mission select menu, and then another loading for the uh, the actual mm. game, yep. like it's just I couldn't fucking believe. Yeah, it. I I I get it in that, that there are some games where. It frustrates me that the experience is bad on Switch because Switch is just the place I want to play right. it. Like we we talked about uh, cassette beasts not that long ago. Oh god, cassette so beasts doesn't run great on Switch, mm. but Switch is like the place I want to be playing that kind of game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, other things I've not pl I've not really played much else this week, but I I played around with the setting of a thing I want to talk about. Um, so. Start of this year, I, I put out a video talking about like accessibility stuff that I wanted to see standardized across the games industry. And one of the things I talked about at, at the time was uh, Xbox has this feature called Copilot Mode, uh, where you can basically have two controllers set up controlling the same player character. And that's useful for like, hey, do you need your buttons spread out a bit more than they currently are? Do you need like 
one controller sideways because you can hold it a bit easier that way and to have have you know it allows you to do weird custom stuff with two controllers it's a really neat feature um start of this year neither playstation nor nintendo had any like system level version of that we'd seen it once on playstation with um horizon forbidden west last year on like a single game basis and now available in beta uh on ps5 is something called assist controller support which is basically the same as co-pilot mode and as this isn't available everywhere yet because it's in beta and it's kind of limited by some some countries i wanted to talk about it because i've had a chance to play around with it and short version it, it is a positive step forward for PlayStation. This does basically just mirror Copilot Mode's core functionality. Let's say you're playing a game that isn't accessible by default because it's got, like, button-mashing sequences you can't turn off. You could have a second player with you that, you know, you, you're playing the game, and when a button-mash comes up, they, on their separate controller, without having to panic and throw you the controller, can do the button-mashing segment, and you can be controlling one character. Things like that. This does do that functionality, and that is great. One thing that it doesn't do is it doesn't allow you to independently button map the two controllers separately, which is something you can do with Copilot mode on Xbox, which is unfortunate because it limits some of the ways you that Copilot mode is useful. Things like, let's say you can't use uh, trigger buttons on the back of a controller. You could set up a second controller in Xbox to have the A and B buttons be your triggers, for example. You can't do that here, because if you remap the second controller, it remaps the first controller as well. Um, so it is not perfect, but I'm glad that it's there, and it is a step towards a thing that I've been really hoping we would see more console manufacturers go, this is a thing we should probably be offering. Um, so that's a that's a that, that's a positive with a you could you could still do a little better on that one PlayStation. That's something to consider trying to do before this goes out of beta. Um, it's nice that they're all still trying. Yeah, yeah. Um, like without going too much into it, PlayStation this year has been doing catch up on some of. Microsoft's like system level features and I'm glad they're trying to do it but every time they've been doing system level stuff trying to catch up with Xbox they keep having weird little not quite doing it as well as Xbox does and like a, a good example of this a few months ago we had um, uh, accessibility store tags on PlayStation finally got added something Xbox has had for ages PlayStations were just like less consistently applied like, on the day they dropped, uh, a bunch of games that definitely need you to hear spoken dialogue had a, there is no spoken dialogue in this game, so don't worry about it if you can't hear, uh, you know, you don't need subtitles, there's just no dialogue in the game. Just, like, weird little things where it's, like, not quite as stringent quality control as Xbox's implementation, but I'm glad they're trying. I'm glad they're trying to play that catch-up and that these features are starting to propagate a bit more widely. Uh, should we start wrapping up here? Because I know we got we we got a bit of a deadline today. Yeah, for I got to shoot off. Um, got to pause. That's all right. We can we can very quickly do our uh, our goodbyes and Absolutely. whatnot. Yeah. Um, Laura, would you like to do some goodbyes and whatnot? I'm sure people would love to hear it. Uh, 
I can do some quick goodbyes. Yeah. Uh, you can find me everywhere at Laura K Buzz on all of the platforms you would find me on. Uh, Patreon's the one that pays the bills. If you get, if you get as little as a dollar a month, really helps over there. Uh, the other thing, if you uh, check out my Twitter, uh, Blue Sky Mastodon, whatever social media, um, I am currently longlisted for the Diverse Book Awards 2023 for a couple of categories. One of those is a a fan vote category. So hey, uh, me and my dysphoria monster, if you think that is a worthwhile book, uh, a little vote for that over there uh, would not go amiss. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda and officially licensed Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. Got some new stuff coming in. And there's a, we have a clearance sale on some old Jimquisition stuff that uh, I need to get out of my closet. So come check that out. And... Uh, everything I do online also gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. It cannot be denied. It is patreon.com slash jimquisition. Uh, I also uh, stream as and when I can lately. Like, that's just the rule now, just whenever I can. Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, thank you to everyone who turned up to the Tidal show this past Sunday. Uh, that was a lot of fun. My next confirmed booking is the big one that I've been sort of bigging up for a long time now. August 26th in Leeds, Commander Stephanie Sterling versus Kid Bandit in the main event of the next True Grit show. Um... I guarantee you it's going to be an incredible fucking match. I guarantee it. Um, so that's August 26th, Leeds, True Grit Wrestling. Um, and that's it. Thank you all so much for listening, supporting, sharing, all of that good stuff. Uh, we will see you next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>